Hello and welcome to another episode of the CG Garage. This is episode number 357 featuring Mallory Yund, who I have known for a long, long time, uh, or I knew a long time ago. And this going on with a trend of the podcast I've been doing lately. People have known many, many years ago who have gone on to do amazing things on uh, in their careers. And I really just, uh, I'm fascinated by Mallory and she's really got into some specialized, uh, skill sets, which I think is fascinating that I didn't know about. Kristen, what do you think of Mallory? Oh, well, she, she's great. Well, she's also a, a fellow Kansas Cityan, kind of, uh-huh. she went to school at Kansas and yep. that's kind of where she decided she was going to do film, studied mm-hmm. it there. Um, and I just love her story moving to LA. She, she did, mm-hmm. she did the grind work like for three years, um, and she PA'd in films yeah. a little bit, which is very hard. Um, and she said, like, just never underestimate a PA. It's such a, an important role. Um, Absolutely. And yeah, from that, she kind of went on to post-production. And that's she had a lot of great organizational skills and stuff, which mm-hmm. helped her uh, become a producer. Um, and like, she's worked on Curb Your Enthusiasm, Silicon Valley, now Cobra Kai, mm-hmm. which... I'm watching tonight. Uh-huh. Um, so, uh, and yeah, she just also kind of reveals her favorite parts of being a producer and sheds light on the quick progression um, of technology behind TV series. So, amazing podcast. Yeah, she was she was really great. I mean, she really got into, you know, uh, one of the specialties that she ended up really getting into was specifically about uh, file-based camera systems, right? So it was moving mm-hmm. away from film and tape and how that's going to work and sort of sort of figured out the workflows of things like red cameras and Alexas and all of those types of things. So it was really kind of interesting. I didn't know that about her because you know, she and I sort of uh, uh, you know, were working together like 12 years ago. So that was before all of that those specialties she acquired since then but I was fascinated by it and I've always loved uh, Mallory as, as, a, as a great partner she was a, a coordinator for me uh, back at Method long long time ago and I always knew she was going to go places and and in fact she has as she I'm so excited to see uh, that happen for her and so it was really great reconnecting with her and I was very excited to have her on so thank you Mallory for coming on to the CG Garage uh, okay I don't think we have any announcements uh, still so beginning of the year people are coming back from the holidays so there's still (laughs) things are catching up here and there but i'm sure we'll have some announcements soon and some events soon but if people want to know more about the podcast or connect on a podcast where can they go Kristen? you can go to facebook.com slash cg garage podcast or chaos.com slash cg garage and if you'd like to watch us go to youtube.com slash chaos group tv Perfect. And if uh, you guys have any ideas of other podcasts, we'd love to know. We've, uh, Chris and I have been working very hard all week, lining up a huge amount of new guests coming up. So we're very excited about 2022. But please let us know if you say, hey, I'd love to hear more about this or that. Just email us, labs at chaosgroup.com. That is where you can reach us. And of course, don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcast. And uh, I think that's about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So with that, enjoy this amazing podcast, episode number 357 with Mallory Yoon. Welcome to another CG Garage, where the chaos group talks. You'll know it's over when the last bucket drops. We're gonna fire off rays in high dynamic range. We know that ambient occlusion is passe. Global illumination won't lead you astray. And while image-based lighting is really swell, you need to make sure everything has for now. So, Mallory, it has been, like we, we were just saying before I hit record, it's been 12 plus years since we've seen each other. Yes. Yes. Literally. Like, I, I haven't even barely seen you on social media in that time. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I think we connected on social media not long ago. I was like, Mallory, I wonder what she's up to. She was so cool. <laughs> She was so fun. Uh, so yeah, it was really kind of a, uh, uh, it was really cool to reconnect with you and sort of see some of the things you're doing. I was like, I gotta, I gotta catch up with her. And I think I figured I'll take the opportunity to record a podcast because I always take that opportunity. <laughs> but, uh, but I, so when, let, we let people know when I met you, you, you were helping uh, me out at, at, at Method, you were a coordinator and we were doing mm-hmm. a bunch of work together. Uh, yep. Some of the Scion spots I think we were doing or what were we, which one of the spots we were working on? I honestly don't remember which ones they were, but you were the um, supervisor on many of the ones that I was doing um, right. with one particular producer mainly. And 
with Leighton mainly, right? Yes. Yes. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Correct. So, um, uh, I think we were doing Super Bowl commercials, mm-hmm. but I can't remember exactly which ones. And um, you know, trying to weather the changes that were going on in the in the uh, in the company and um, right. But you know, we 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 had a good time. I mean, we had a good family at that time. We did, we did, and and you know, there's an important part, especially you know, I learned a, a very important part of the of of when I was supervising is the the connection and bond and communication you have with your coordinator and producer mm-hmm. <laughs> has to be really tight, so you can really just get stuff done. Yeah. And and I know that I can rely on you to help make sure that I don't drop the ball on a bunch of things, which I do if I don't have that help. <laughs> oh, we all do. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I rely heavily on my team now to, to, to make sure we, we get everything over the finish line properly on yeah. time and efficiently. So uh, it's it's important sure. to have a good team. Now, no you're, 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 for sure. And your career has has grown to incredible heights, which I want to hear about and I'm very excited about. But I do want to know more about your humble beginnings and your excitement and like, you know, you went, you know, you came, you were from Kansas originally, right? Is that right? I went to school in Kansas, but okay. I'm originally from Seattle. From Seattle. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay. And so you went to school in Kansas, but what got you into the entertainment industry? What sort of drove that, uh, that interest in that way? I mean, I was always a visual person as a kid. I, I watched movies all the time, you know, when I wasn't outside. And, and if there was a, a book, the rest of my family would say, oh, well, there's a book of a story. Just read the book. And I go, but there's also a movie. Why don't I just watch the movie? It's more entertaining to me anyway. I'm not going to sit and read a book. That's God, that's boring. Um, as a child, this is what I'm saying. Right. <laughs> but um, so, I mean, yeah, it was it was always there. And I was a performer growing up. And um, I wasn't really thinking seriously about going into the industry until, um, I mean, oddly enough, it was the movie Elizabeth that came out, I think, in 97, 97, really? 98. Uh, Elizabeth, it was about Elizabeth first with Kate Blanchett. And um, I was I I fell in love with the story, the storytelling um, the visuals, the music, how it, w- and I, what I realize now, what I really love about it is how it was cut together, how the pieces were put together mm-hmm. and, and how it made, how it was so interesting and thrilling and suspenseful, um, and just beautiful from start to finish. So that kind of got me into looking at, uh, film programs to go into production work. And, um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. <laughs> I was just like, I want to yep. do something like that, um, whatever that was, you know. Um, but um, yeah, went to went to film school at the University of Kansas, and um, it, you know, it was a, a good program for me at the time. Right. Um, so uh, I, I didn't really have any plans afterwards. And uh, did you plan on doing produ- production work mostly, or were I you looking did. at like yeah, filmmaking I was, of some kind? Okay. Just, just getting into production, getting into features. Um, when I graduated from school, it was in 2004. So television was, you know, mainly ER <laughs> as your penultimate right. drama at the time and whatever sitcoms were popular. Um, so there wasn't a lot of interest in TV for me. Um, but uh, I just, I said, I got to go to LA. That's where things are happening. I'll figure it mm. out. And uh, it took me a little while, but I, I managed to figure it out. Okay. So how, what was your, <laughs> what was your, what was your first job in LA and how did that go? I mean, did you just pack up your bags and sleep on some couches before you got to someone's got a job? You have no idea how accurate that is actually. Mm-hmm. And um, you have no I, idea how common that story is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I, I came into LA with, you know, a couple thousand dollars, which I was like, Oh, I can, I can find my own place in right. a couple of weeks, you know, no big deal. I just need to get familiarized with the town. I'm from a small town originally of 20,000 people. So mm-hmm. <laughs> little did I know. Um, the, the benefit though, when I got here on January 1st of 2005 is when I uh, arrived in Los Angeles is that my sister already lived here. She was living in a studio apartment in Venice. Um, she was an actress and, um, I said, well, I'll just sleep on her couch for a few weeks, two, three weeks, we you know, however long it takes me to find my own place. So the couch, oddly enough, was very comfortable and it's a good thing too. Cause I slept on that couch for three years. 
And uh, there you go. Yep. We managed to make it work in a studio apartment in Venice mm-hmm. for three years, three and a half years actually. Uh, but wow. um, yeah, my uh, my first job was also at a restaurant that my sister uh, worked at called Gladstones in Malibu. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah a, I, I had no one. experience uh, <laughs> in serving. Yeah, I had no experience in restaurants at all. But uh, so I got a job mm-hmm. as a host. I did that for, uh, I would say about almost 10 months, maybe mm-hmm. um, eight months, something like that, uh, before I was offered to come back to Kansas to um, take over technical management and operation management of the film school facility for three months Mm. while uh, my friend who ran it was on maternity leave. So I went back to Kansas and I did that for, uh, for her and for the school. And um, that was more eye opening, I think, than being a student there was for sure. It just kind of helped me see some of the uh, the skeletons in the closet, let's just say. Mm -hmm. And uh, (laughs) the curtain is pulled back on uh, Mm -hmm. reality. So then I got back to LA after uh, in the winter of 2006. And my first job in the industry really was as a receptionist at a post house in Burbank when I got back. Oh, yeah. Um, which entry which, level which, which post house? Uh, it's, it's called Level 3 Post. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, still there. Uh, unfortunately, it will be closing soon. Mm-hmm. Closing up shop soon. There's a lot of post houses uh, that I grew up with are doing lately. But, um, yeah, I, I, you know, without that job as a receptionist, I can take everything that I've done since back to that job. Everything. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Just about. Yeah. Um, I met people, I got an understanding of what post was like, what television was like, um, made some good friends, um, met a man I was with for 11 years, <laughs> you know, right. just. So many different facets really kind of boiled down to working as a receptionist in this in this facility. And um, there's there's a few places I can really point to that were uh, that have a, a, a lot to do with the path that I took or the path that I, I'm not sure I, I should say that I took it. It's mainly just what was available to me. And I followed. I went where the doors were open. Right. But you were always looking for something, right? You were always like, okay, I got here. I got to this step. Yes. I'm going to look to the next stone in the river to cross, yes. right? Yes. <laughs> it, and I kept going back to production. So, uh, you know, mm-hmm. when when I was a receptionist and I made all those connections and met people, I didn't even realize I was really making connections at the time. Um, I left that job after about 10 months and became an office PA on a feature. A big multi-million dollar feature film with Fox. It was, it came out as uh, meet Dave. It was Eddie Murphy and Elizabeth smart. Uh, no, Elizabeth banks, not Elizabeth smart. Uh, Elizabeth banks. <laughs> right. <laughs> that, that would be weird. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, it, it was, it would, that was eye opening to the production aspect of it. Cause I was like, yes, I'm finally, I'm on the production side. I'm going to see how things, uh, really work on this side. And I can, kind of figure out what a potential path would be. Um, I always wanted to be a producer, but I was like, I don't really know how to do that. There's really no structure to be a producer. And I was learning very quickly that I really don't know what to do unless there's structure. <laughs> so right. um, I was on that show for six months. That parlayed into a post PA gig and a pilot, which then went into another um, uh, feature office PA gig on a feature called Eagle Eye at that point, another big multi-million dollar, big visual effects, you know, um, Shia LaBeouf. And I don't really remember who else was in it. Right. But, um, uh, Oh, Billy Bob Thornton was in it. Cause I got to drive him home on that. <laughs> on that there job. you go. <laughs> that's my, that's my best story. Actually. <laughs> there's some great, there, there's some perks that PAs have and every now and then they get to drive yeah, celebrities. To exactly. House, so. Exactly. You know, <laughs> or go it, feed their dog or something. <laughs> totally. Totally. I mean, I, I, I would never knock the PA gig. I mean, it, it was, I thought it really annoying at the time, but the more I kind of grew up in this industry and uh, as a professional and as an adult, I realized there there is a lot of value to being a PA number one. And as you grow up in the ranks, having a really good solid PA number two, 
Um, Mm -hmm. And it is a job that I will never look down on and I will always take seriously and and, um, tell everybody coming in, be a PA, you know, figure out what you want to do while you're a PA. Um, But yeah, so after after Eagle Eye, we had the writer strike in 2008. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that, you know, even affected me because there was no work, you know, and I was still trying to just find kind of PA gigs or you know, um, whatever I could find. And I ended up being a non-union extra, which is a terrible job, if I can say that. Uh, it's, it's cash. <laughs> but, well, it, it's, you're non-union. So you're getting paid $80 for 12 hours and you're in any any number of horrible conditions. I mean, the last job that I did was an overnight gig in Los Feliz, uh, that was supposed to be an outdoor party, like a house party, a high school house party um, in the summer. So everybody's wearing skimpy dresses, skirts, um, shirts, no clothing whatsoever, heels. We were outside next to this pool standing in heels, we, the women amongst us, um, mm-hmm. for close to 10 hours. And it was 40 degrees. And production did not give two shits. Wow. They took their time. I mean, that's their prerogative. That's that's what you sign up for as a non-union extra. I got right. terribly sick after that job and and just didn't sign up for any more availability after that. Because, right. you know, $80 to do that and I wrapped at 6 a.m., uh, that's just not worth it to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, for sure. Yeah, I mean, and, and it, it, it did nothing, you know, professionally either. I had done a few jobs and I was just like, you know, this is, this is just not really what I'm feeling at the moment. So I'm going to go back on unemployment and I'm going to wait this out. I saw someone uh, on social media at one point, they, he uh, was, he was an extra and he Mm -hmm. made a reel of his extra work, which was the funniest thing ever. It was just a bunch of shots and then arrows pointing at him in the crowd. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, honestly, if you're sad, it's not a bad gig. Yeah, sure. You actually do get paid a decent day rate. Uh, but, yeah. and, and if you just really love that type of work, really love and are passionate about being around production people and talking to ADs or talking to other PAs or, you know, and I, I guess that's just not, I, I, I was finding out a lot about myself over this sure. period of time. And I just realized that's not something that I feel called to do. I am right. an introvert. I want to be warm <laughs> and sure. I would rather not be on my feet for 10 hours in 40 degree weather when the directors and all the other crew are in no joke, like North face puffy coats down to their ankles. Wow. So uh, that was, that was definitely not the best experience, but I'm not, you know, it, it, there are others that can be better. I know people, some people really love doing that kind of work and, and like, and string together enough, but it's, it's not bad. It just wasn't for me. Um, right. Once um, once the writer's strike finished, I actually went uh, on to season one of the show that I had done as a pilot the previous summer. I was the post coordinator. So this is kind of technically my second job in post um, after mm-hmm. being a PA on the pilot. And it was literally me and the post supervisor and a PA. And it was 12 episodes for TNT, a show called Raising the Bar season one. Um. Mark Paul Gosler, I think it was a it was a Bochco show. Um, okay. And his uh, kind of resurgence and and I think it was really TNT's one of their first original dramas. Um, and this was in two thousand eight. And it our season was from March to September. And in two thousand eight, the TV season for network was still very consistently, you know, August September through April May. So right. I did this season one, I learned a ton. Um, but then when we wrapped in September, there were no shows that were picking up work. I mean, there, all the shows were already staffed and I was kind of stuck. I, I, you know, I think I had just moved then into my own <laughs> apartment out of, off of my sister's couch. So, um, right. you know, going on to and having a job immediately after that was quite important to be able to pay my, you know, now bloated bills. Um, right. so that's when I, um, found out about the gig at, um, Medin. and right. I, uh, yeah. So I interviewed and got hired as a coordinator, uh, at method. I had no idea what I was doing. 
in the visual effects world. But again, I go back to that experience and go, well, I met Layton, who is now one of my best friends. So beyond yep. that, though, I learned about a file-based workflow. Yes. This is going to be important, right? Yes. 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 <laughs> and I pay attention to those things. And I talk to engineers. And I want to understand how the process works so that I can do mm -hmm. my job better. You know, I'm, I'm not right. just a, a robot you know, do this, do that. Okay, no problem. I do my job and I go home. I want to understand, not in detail, I don't need to do it, but I just want to understand how the process works so that I can figure right. out how I can make improvements on how I do my job, um, how I can help others, how I can um, uh, get ahead of the curve, how I can predict right. what work will need to get done and hopefully get it done sooner than maybe it needs to be, you know? That's kind of how I look at right. jobs. Um, so yeah, method as short as it was, six months, uh, it was it was still a good experience. It's interesting. It was only six months because I remember you being there. I mean, I guess I wasn't there as lo that long either. But it was. I remember you being just like going at it, like like yep, you were you were very very important at that time. And you know, considering <laughs> the experience you had. You were very, very good at communicating and very, very good at just making sure everything was working. So I, you know, you weren't, you weren't as, it didn't seem to me like it was your first like post-production uh, coordinating job. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a, it was a thing. Yeah. It was a good thing. And I remember, you know, it was, it was a hard time. There was a transition point that was going on uh, during that time. And I think we can, mm -hmm. you know, we can talk about it now and, 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 they were decided that they were going to have some layoffs and uh, you were unfortunately one of the people that was being laid off. Mm -hmm. But the thing that upset me the most is that they didn't tell me <laughs> that they're laying you off. I yeah. think I should have known this information because they're like, no, you, I would have said absolutely not. She's critical to my team's success. And why the hell are you doing that? Yeah. Uh, but it was unfortunately that happened. So I, I really sort of uh, stood up for you. And and I, I uh, and and then you know obviously things happen. But in the end, I think uh, you know uh, you 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 obviously you've thrived since then. So I'm 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 not necessarily that disappointed that, that you <laughs> moved on. But uh, uh, so uh, I was really uh, it was really kind of a you know like you said we were we were together for a short period of time. But I still remember that really well but tell us a little bit about that like like what happened since then obviously like i want now want to know where, where that trajectory <laughs> went and how that kept going well i mean like i said before i follow the doors that are available to me and the method door was closing they showed me the door although i was not locked out by security i can say that that day they right. did give me the ability to actually pack up my stuff um right but but i had to go through that door so okay mm -hmm. Um, and I think I was out of work for about a month. You know, you, you, you put the word out to your friends and your colleagues and you say, I, uh, I'm looking for work. This is a situation. Um, let me know if you hear of anything. And, and I, I mean, Facebook was not what it was now, what it is now. And right. so there were no like groups that you can post your resume to or whatever. It really was simply word of mouth via who you knew and then who, right your friends knew. Um, so thankfully the word got out pretty well. And within a month I had another gig. Uh, I, <laughs> again, like looking back, I go, God, that, that job that I got after method was so pivotal to my future success or being able to do my job successfully. Um, right. But at the time I just thought, God damn it. I hate this job. Oh my God. It's, it was a small post house in Burbank, okay. thankfully 10 minutes away from where my apartment was. Um, okay. So after six months of commuting to Santa Monica, that was great. But um, yeah. it, it was, they hired me because they were just starting to work in television. They okay. were before that a completely, you know, uh, independent feature digital intermediate company. They would digitize film reels and do DI. They would online the reels um, and do the kind of finishing part of posts, but solely for independent projects. Um, okay. When we were at Method, before I left, uh, John Wells was shooting the last season of ER, and he was experimenting with the RED camera. RED camera had mm -hmm. just come out. 
Right. So, and I, I know because we were in a, 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 a method was under a corporate umbrella at the time that also included the post house that ER was finishing at, but they didn't have the ability to, uh, I guess, transfer the data, the, the media files. So I know Met- method was doing a lot of that and backing up to LTO, I believe. Um, yeah. I don't remember the specifics, but I do remember it, you know, that little bit because he was practicing with this camera because he wanted to use this camera for his next show, which was Southland. And there was no post house television post house in town that knew how to deal with uh, files at all. It was a completely tape based or, or um, film based finishing medium at that point. So um, my little company, they hired me to be the post, I guess, show producer, post-production supervisor, whatever it was called on the, on the facility side at that time for their new television client, Southland. And Mm -hmm. the client, they didn't know how to deal with TV clients. The TV client didn't want to be at that facility and didn't understand what they were doing. So they brought me in to kind of, I guess, be the conduit, like as if I had that much experience in television, I had one credit. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But, right. But, they were apparently that was enough for them. So they hired me on sure. to, uh, uh, as a freelance basis to deal with this client. And what I learned at this facility, I think I was there for 11, no, gosh, uh, from 2009, technically to only 2011. So only really a couple of years. Um, maybe, yeah, something like that. Um, it, I, I learned how to, use a file-based workflow in television finishing. Um, This was the only show that was doing it. We, the next year, 2012, uh, did have a few more shows trying to work in files, but again, nobody else was, nobody else really had the, uh, the workflow and um, the, the bandwidth, the, you know, uh, the processes in place in order to get the media off of the cards or a drive, however it comes to the facility. Mm. load them process the dailies and then do the onlines the color correction the finishing i mean this this took very specialized equipment to to do all of this and that equipment is expensive and you can't just uh turn around all the equipment you've been using for decades (laughs) in a heartbeat when these new cameras start coming out so it was a very slow process at the time um we did a few pilots we had you know some success some not but throughout the entire process my the thing that I loved about the engineers at that company was was that they were learning. They took every um, perceived failure or every time a client pushed back on something, and they learned. Uh, they either rewrote the code that they were using, the proprietary software that they wrote, in order to process the dailies the way we were doing it, in order to use uh, the the media and online the media from EDL. Mm-hmm. Um, and they got they made it better. And, you know, that was really the only And you were learning along with them at the time. I was learning along with them. Exactly. This is a non-union facility. So I was actually on the equipment some of the time. Um, Hmm. I was in, um, uh, I I had to go to New York in 2011 because this company, which was started out as a company called Hollywood Intermediate, that became Next Element. And then we were purchased by Deluxe. So then we became Next Element by Deluxe. Okay. As Next Element by Deluxe, I went to New York for pilot season uh, in 2011 to work out of the Deluxe facility in Manhattan, which is a beautiful facility, only because of the views of the river and everything else. Um, but I was only supposed to be there for two weeks to train their in-house producers to use these this equipment that we were sending out, this um, mobile dailies processing equipment, and um, then get out of there, get back to L.A. I ended up staying for six weeks because they were overwhelmed and the clients were demanding, you know, things. And, uh, I actually, what I became operations overnight. We were processing dailies for three different shows on two different systems with two teams of people working those systems. And so coordinating, uh, one of the dailies coming in, one do they need, one do they do is in New York, uh, editing bay or is an LA editing bay, you know, if it's LA, we have more time and, and just those details of who's going to be on the equipment when, and when are we going to process all of the deliverables and between three shows and two systems, I ended up doing that <laughs> because they just didn't have, um, the, that 
person in their own facility uh, or the need at the time. So um, we did have an operator quit in the middle of a show. So uh, an engineer who came with me to help set the, up the systems and train the folks uh, ended up doing all of the sound syncing. <laughs> which was relatively automated, but you had to check it and make sure that everything's matching up. And then I was making the deliverables. I was making DNX 36 MXF files for tutorial, H.264 QuickTimes for whatever digital dailies platform they were using, whether it was PIX or DAX or whatever it was. Um, wow. Bins, EDLs, like non-union, I could do it. And I had learned right. by watching and just observing and being a part of the process the entire way that, okay, no, I know how to do this. I can do this. So, you know, when pressed into action, you got to get the job done. So we come back, um, Deluxe closes us down, my little facility, and, and and disperses the staff and the equipment between Level 3 Post and Encore Media. So I'm back at Level 3 Post as a post-production supervisor. The kicker, though, that you're going to enjoy this part of the story, the kicker about what happened when we were in New York in the spring of 2011 changed television. That was, was when that? the earthquake happened and then the tsunami in oh. Japan. Oh, right. Yes, because the tape factory. The tape factory. There's no more tapes. That's Most right. Shows were shooting on HD tape. Yeah, so ex yeah, yeah tell, explain the tape factory because that's, oh I, I know this story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so here's the kicker of this whole thing and like right place, right time. I mean, that that's all that this is. Right. Like, I don't I don't know what the actual percentage of TV shows that were shooting directed tape were, but most shows, I, I can say probably easily 75% of shows if they weren't shooting on film, which was very expensive to do. So most of them, I think were not shooting on film at the time. I think most shows were shooting on tape and they were delivering final masters for air on the same tapes. This and the tape, tapes were, which uh, tapes were they? These were HDSRs. Uh, HDSRs. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, D5s, it, that had just, I think in the previous few years had kind of taken over D5 because it had the ability to have 12 tracks of audio on it. A D5 could only right. have eight tracks of audio. So then again, depending right. on who you were delivering to, they had a different requirement of tape, but you know, you had HDSRs, you had, uh, D5s, you had Digibetas, beta cams. Um, I mean, I think we still delivered a VHS in 2008. I shit you not. Like it was just, right. it was, I mean, they, studios were still loving their tapes. And so they yeah. were shooting, they were using cameras that also shot to these tapes as well. And that is an obscene amount of tape per episode or per right. series. And when many series at the time were 22 episodes for a season that is a ton of tapes so you have an earthquake in japan then the earthquake um motivates a tsunami to come and uh wipe out so much of northern japan uh you know there was a uh, i think there was a nuclear factory meltdown i mean there were just so much destruction because of these two natural disasters um the area of japan where these tapes are made is in the area that was destroyed. And that was so, the only place that these things were made. The only place. Yeah. The only right. place in the world these tapes were made. So at that point, any tape that was already stateside, like became gold. Uh, yep. And people rushed to the available file-based cameras, which I think the Alexa's, like the first generation of the Alexa camera was out that pilot season, um, mm -hmm. as well as the red camera. I think that was pretty mm -hmm. much it at the time. And mm -hmm. here I am in, in a position in my company, my little company in a position of, well, we, we know what to do with files. We've been doing right. it. We've been creating workflows for it. Um, and so they shut us down, Deluxe shut us down and then dispersed us between Encore and Level 3 Post, which were under the same corporate umbrella at the time. I was responsible for training the uh, PP the other PPSs at Level Three Post in how to deal in files, how to deal in a sh on shows with files, what kind of questions to ask your clients, what are the deliverables now, um, how is the media coming in now? I mean, there the the amount of information that we now need to know from production is 
is a lot more than if they were just shooting on tape when things were very, very standardized. But with files, right. things become way less standardized. Um, so you have to also have the ability to have custom workflows for your shows. You can't always put everybody through the same pipeline. It just isn't going to work. Um, that's mm. what we had been doing. That's what we developed as my little company, um, the little company I worked for, obviously not my personal mm -hmm. one. And um, that's what we then had to train people to do at both level three post and encore. Mm. Um, so that was kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was like, oh, I know how to do this. You know, this is fine. And so I, I wrote a manual and I handed it out to everybody. You know, this is what we need to know. This is what your shows need to, to tell us. This is what they need to know. Um, these are the options available to them for finishing. And um, I ended up training not just other PPSs, but also clients uh, in, you know, and really walking them through this workflow as they're going through the facility for dailies and for finishing and delivery. Um, and so I, I loved it. I loved doing this. And, and it wasn't so much about having authority, but it was about having respect. I was respected by my colleagues and I was respected by my clients. Um, right. When things started to change for me was when I felt that that respect was no longer really there the way that it had been before and the way that I thought that it should have been. So my clients started to, you know, after a year and a half of this, my clients just started to think that they knew more about the process and I'm just standing back and going, okay, yeah, sure. You can, we could, we could do that. It's not efficient, but yeah, yeah, we could, no problem. Um, and then right. uh, my, my bosses started to, you know, not, uh, um, yeah, you know, again, it's just all about respect. <laughs> sure. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, if, if you're, I'm, I'm not going to labor under, uh, you know, false pretenses that it'll get better. If it's, if it steadily gets worse, then I know it's going to keep getting worse. So sure. I put the word out to my clients very quietly, the ones that I trusted and knew and had a good relationship with. And I said, look, I am ready to jump to the show side. Um, I, you know, the freelance work didn't really strike me before uh, as something that was desirable. But now I, I think I think that it is. I think I could do this. And uh, I was able to jump onto a show called Magic City uh, season two in um 2013 in february of 2013 and i've been on shows worked my way up since then so what is that almost nine years i guess on the show yeah. side yeah and it's just it, again like everything that i've done has put me in a better position for the next thing that i do right um it, it's it's really remarkable and i'm still like wow oh wow everything's really kind of worked out <laughs> <laughs> have you always stuck with the, the with the post side, or have you sort of you know focused on all kinds of areas of the production, especially on the show side of things? Yeah, no, I've I mean, ever since that second uh, feature, Eagle Eye, I did as a as a office PA um, and talking. God, everybody was miserable. I mean, two mm -hmm. two production offices in a row on these major features. Everybody's miserable. Everybody's angry. Everybody's barking at each other, and um, you know, long days. Uh, I just, you know, I, I did at one point apply for a DGA internship, mm. um, but I was uh, rejected because I failed to sign the second page of the application or something like that. I mean, it was something so, so minor, but I mean, I'm sure they get so many applications. They have to really look for those minor things to, to, you know, kind of weed out the, the masses. But I am so thankful I didn't get that at the end of the day. I right. think, I, I mean, to, it's just, again, for me and learning how I work best and, and how I am able to, to do my job best and, and come home and still like myself, um, production would have been a bad fit for me. I really okay. like smaller, um, smaller departments, small rooms, dark rooms, <laughs> <laughs> Yep. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm an introvert, uh, at the end of the day. I could be more extroverted, but uh, I'm not the uh, inexhaustible on my feet, running around, um, barking at people and having arguments with gross scaffers and construction kind of person. So, right. uh, yeah, I mean, it's 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 a completely different beast to be in post. I'm not going to say it's easier, but um, it's definitely more aligned with uh, it's just me as a person.
Yeah. Well, that's interesting. I mean, I think it's really interesting that you found this little niche of file formats, right? Like, like that's yeah. something that's very, it's like, okay, how are we going to make this? Because it is, it's a huge amount of data, right? Mm-hmm. It used to be the whole thing of carrying out these big cans of film. I, and they still did it when I was at Method. We were still shooting certain commercials oh on film. God. It was kind of. <laughs> that's insane. Yeah. 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 It was, it is kind of like, oh, wow. You know, but uh Obviously, a lot of that changed, and well, there's still film. Well, Chris Nolan still shoots on film, but uh, but uh, there's, it is interesting that that you found that that niche and you made that 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 part of your your thing. What is what is your favorite part of of producing? Like, what is the fav- your favorite thing about it that you really like? Well, it's it's the combination, um, at least in post producing. So I, it's it can be. Um, very technical. Um, I can be as technical or as creative as I really want to be at the end of the day, as long as I'm on the right show that allows me to do that. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've got schedules and budgets. So that really appeals to my OCD brain. And, you know, I, I love, I love math and I love putting things together because there is an answer and it's, it's not, objective or subjective, you know, that there, there is a specific answer. I know that if I'm, you know, renting this many hours for this many weeks, then it costs this much money. What's in my budget. But then I have to get creative with the numbers too about, well, where can I pull money from? Where can I find solutions to these budgetary issues that I'm having? How can I find solutions to the scheduling issues that I'm having? Um, so there's a good, even in just those two areas, because that's what a producer does, budgets and schedules at the end of the day. Right. That's what's going to define a producer. Um, and I can have, I, I can be very technical or I can be very creative in how I, in how I put that together for my show. It's technical in the sense of um, equipment and software and shooting, uh, knowing the camera that we're shooting on, knowing what file format the camera shoots, knowing how the camera shoots, what it can do. Um, right. and then you can, and then you compare that with what we're expected to deliver, uh, to, uh, on the show that I'm on right now, we delivered it to Netflix. So what does Netflix expect from us? What kind of files do we have to deliver to whom? How do we make what, what we shoot into what we need to deliver and then mm-hmm. filling in the gaps in between, um, right. managing the people. I do love managing my small team. I, I, I have 10 well, with composers, I guess I have 13 folks that I, I kind of manage on my team at the end of the day, um, which I like. It's, it's a nice size uh, Google group. <laughs> if it got any bigger, all I would be doing was personal management. I wouldn't be able to do the other things that I do. So right. I've got budget schedule. I've got personnel management. I have to manage my producers, the studio expectations, the network expectations, reconcile all those together and then when we actually lock a cut the finishing process is just so exciting to me i love finishing um because i'm i'm a a producer now so i in television typically the department head covers sound and then your second whether it's a post-supervisor or an ap my second is a co-producer he handles Mm -hmm. picture but i'm still very involved in visual effects because that is one of my original loves (laughs) So he, he and I kind of work in tandem on visual effects, but he handles titling and onlines and VFX drop-ins and final dubs and delivery to Netflix and um, Sony. Whereas I schedule ADR with my coordinator. I attend the ADR sessions. Um, I attend the mix sessions, final mix playback with the producers. And, uh, you know, we're giving notes to the mixers um, and as well as final delivery. I'm helping out with that. And I just, I love the creative potential in that process. Mm-hmm. You can really do it as much or as little as you want as a person. And I, I right. love the creativity that I get on the mix stage or even directing some of the ADR sessions. Um, whether it's, you know, we're adding a line because it doesn't exist and we have to recut a scene and, or right. it's just for technical purposes. And I love working with my sound supervisor he and I are working in tandem together on uh, ADR and on the mix stage. And, and I get to be around all these creative people all the time. And re- I'm, I'm so lucky on my show. They are very level-headed people. 
Um, they there is respect. They allow me to do my job. Um, I just sure it's like herding cats at times with so mm-hmm. many people, personnel, EPs, writers, studio network. But you know, at the end of the day, it's we're all just looking for the best outcome on this show. We all want to make a great show. Yeah. I, 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 it's interesting. I did not, I've always, I've always respected uh, the, the role of producers and visual effects and everything else, but I never really thought of it as being a creative role, right? Because mm-hmm. there was a certain bias as an artist to think of that process. And then <laughs> I got the opportunity uh, I got the opportunity to uh, produce something myself. We were, I was doing a short with a friend of mine, Dan Thron, and we did this thing for V-Rite IRL. A lot of my listeners already know about that. But I was, uh, someone had to produce it, and I just said, I'll produce it, right? I didn't know mm-hmm. what the hell I was doing. Uh, and I had uh, the, a producer at, uh, at uh, uh, her name, Lisa Baru at DD. She was incredible. She is incredible. Uh, and she was sort of helping me figure out what producing is. And then I started to realize very quickly, like, oh, you know how when you get to your desk and everything kind of works? Yeah, that doesn't happen without a producer. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, and it's just like, oh, right, that's my job, right? And then he's like, you know, you know that mix session where everyone shows up and they got all the right talent and all the right equipment and everything? Yeah, that doesn't happen without a producer. And that was was something that I was like, oh, and it's not just about, it's, there's actually something really creative, like you're putting the palette together, you know? Yeah. And that's really, you're letting a lot of the artists do their thing and that's also a good thing, stepping back back and that but yeah. but sort of putting it all together was a was both like yeah when you show up on set and nothing's done that's your fault you know mm-hmm. like you know as opposed to something else and so i was really really respectful of producing not only did they was i respectful of it but at the same time i kind of liked it i really liked it like mm-hmm. I, creatively speaking i actually liked it better than an artist position in some cases and oh, I spoke yeah. to uh, I, I spoke to a friend of mine who uh, who I know and she's she's amazing. Her name is Donna Smith, and she was the first head of production, female head of production in Hollywood at, at Universal Studios. And she, like her first film was Raging Bull. She's incredible. Oh, wow! So she's like hardcore, hardcore. But yeah. she was like she used to call me. She says, "You know what, kiddo? I think you want to be a producer." And I was like, "I think I do." I think I do want to be a producer. So whenever I speak to producers and I hear the story you just said, like putting all the pieces puzzle together, mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, that sounds sexy. That sounds yeah. really sexy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's you know what it is pretty sexy. But there's there again, I, I have to go back to the two worlds of creative and and non-creative. I guess I should say I shouldn't be technical mm-hmm. necessarily, but technical, creative and yeah. non-creative. However, you you perceive that it, it's it is it's just such a smorgasbord, and and it can mm-hmm. be this beautiful dance with a lot of artistic elements to it, of producing of, and you just feel fucking great when everything works out. Oh yeah. And then it doesn't. And then you have to let, you have to either put out the fire yourself or light fires under other people. Right. Um, to get them to do what you need them to do. Not everybody works the same way that you do. So it's best, more, most efficient, back to efficiency, to figure out what they need to be motivated. Everybody's going right. to need something different. I had to yeah. get my ass out to Echo Park last season on my show, have a coffee and a sit down with one of my editors because that's what he needed. I right. can just slack another editor and say, hey, this is what's on the plate today or, or this week or this is what I need by, from you by the end of the next week. And he goes, great, no problem. That's what right. he needs. Um, right. So it's lots of creative problem solving, lots of problem solving in general. But again, like, God, it feels great when it works. <laughs> right. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And for, for sure. producers, I mean, we, we don't get any accolades. We don't know what, like everybody whispers, maybe they kind of know that we exist. But if, if there is any kind of admission that we exist, then that means that the shows don't come out of production perfectly. Right. And we can't admit to that. Oh, no. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. but that's the same that's artists, right? Like at CZ Artists, it's like if you do yeah. your job perfectly, no one knows that there's actually a visual Nobody effects there. Nobody knows. Totally. Yeah. 
Totally. And if your show goes perfectly smoothly, no one knows that there was a post-production producer. Nope, 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 nope. Exactly, exactly. You're only visible if there's a fire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you screw up, everybody knows. But if yep. you do your job perfectly, it looks seamless. Mm-hmm. So, I yeah, mean, you can't can get imagine. into post-production and, and, you know, expect awards and accolades and, and recognition for anything. You just, you kind of have to go into that and going, I did a good job today. Yeah. And be okay with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's, that's great. Yeah, that's okay. I don't yeah. need, I don't need the accolades. I need the, the fun, yeah. you know, the, yeah. the, the high fives of, to myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, last day on a mixed stage is always fun. They bring in champagne or they bring in other drinks. And, you know, you have right. everybody's kind of like, oh, we can finally like breathe and like let go and unwind a little bit. And, sure. um, you know, yes, we have the QC process, but the bulk of the work is done and it feels great. And it's a good show. And you have a lot of there's a lot of satisfaction when you when you make or just a really good show. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Now I saw, I've been looking at your IMDb, and obviously, since you started the freelance part, you've been doing on a ton of different shows, some really cool <laughs> shows, lots of really fun yeah. shows, yeah, uh, for sure. Uh, so, what were some of your favorites? Um. Oh gosh. Because I know you're working on Cobra Kai now. That's your big yes. show right now, right? That's my and show right now. We can talk about that, but I want to know some of the other shows that you worked on. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, I, every show has its positives for different reasons. I, I mean. Um, Curb was fun. Uh, Curb you worked on Curb Enthusiasm? Season oh nine. Gosh. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. That was fun. It was just, it was also some of the, it was like the longest schedule I've ever had. <laughs> and really? I don't really feel like I was that, uh, I really did that much on that show. And yeah, I, I, it's, it was, it was a fun show at the end of the day. It was a very different process to make because they don't have scripts. They have outlines. Yeah. They know where they're going, but but it really is improv uh, for for all takes and episodes. So that's why that the the cut process is so much longer because Larry's in there trying to find the the best needle in a haystack in some of these in these takes, and uh, it's it's a lot show. of fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to watch him work. It was a lot of fun to um, you know to to bring in the actress for ADR, and I mean I wasn't running that when I was the second, but um, just having being a, being a fly on the wall on that one was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, That's an interesting process. I'm, I can imagine Kirby enthusiasm, yeah. especially like you said, like, like you can't really ADR things or maybe they do ADR things. I must, I guess they must, right? Well, <laughs> you can. Yeah. But you, you may not realize the, the scene that comes out may not have been the scene he had uh, in his head in the first place. Right, uh, right. You know, so, so things, I think things, um, you know, they kind of, again, they knew where they were going, but, but they got there in different ways than I think he expected in some situations. Um, right. but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, Silicon Valley season one and then Baller season one. And I did a little show called getting on, which was, which was fun. That was season three. Um, mm-hmm. I, I kind of, I do like the little under the radar shows and that one was definitely smaller under the radar. Um, really? um, great cast. Yeah, Lori Metcalf and um, Alex. Oh, what was her name? I don't remember. She's on um, Marvelous, Mrs. Marvelous Mrs. Mabel right now. Mabel? Uh, okay. Maisel. Maisel. Maisel, thank you. I don't watch that one, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's good. But um, uh, yeah, great cast. Really, really great cast. Um that was really the, my first time kind of interacting directly with the producers, actually the, the EPs, my boss right. really empowered me. She said, if this is what you, you know, I, I got bumped up from a post supervisor to an associate producer on that show. And my boss said, well, you need to ask them, you need to make that argument to them. And right. oof, that was scary for me, <laughs> but I did it. Um, okay. And you know, again, super nice writers eps like they were great um i've had i've had a lot of luck working with some really great creative people um you know i hate to (laughs) hate to uh you know not have a bad story to tell i mean i know everybody loves those salacious little insider peeks into the industry but i've been very very lucky i consider myself very lucky to have worked with some really great people um 
I did uh, Vice Principals after that. We did seasons one and two at the same time. That was a yep. lot of fun. Um, I mean, oh my God, so much fun. Different challenges on each show. Um, obviously. That's a lot of HBO show. shows, obviously. <laughs> well, yeah. And and I was kind of in their HBO camp for a long time. And when yeah. I finally got out of HBO was when I was actually able to bump up to a producer role. So, mm-hmm. you know, you have to take the leap. I could have been very comfortable in HBO for a long time, but they liked me in that second position. They were only going right. to max me out at a second slash associate producer position. They're like, no, you're fine there. Right. Good. And I'm like, cool. <laughs> you know, I think, I think I have, you know, more I want to learn and more I can offer. So I'm going to go do that. Thanks. Um, right. The first show that I, I produced, uh, I was the post producer on was, I really loved this show, but it did not get an audience. It was called Sweet Vicious. Uh, it mm. was, on MTV. Mm -hmm. And um, this was in 2016, I think. And it was about uh, young women, um, young women in a fictitious college, uh, avenging sexual assaults. And (laughs) it was a year too early. And because then the next year is when time's up started happening. And uh, people men in the industry started falling like flies uh, mm-hmm. because word was getting out uh, about their, their horrible in some cases, really bad uh, uh, behavior assaults right. and whatnot. And, and so it just, you know, it was a dramedy. It was an hour long kind of drama, but with some comedic elements to it and MTV just didn't know how to promote it. And it really disappeared, but that was such a great little show. Um, Amanda Lasher was the, uh, the, the showrunner and, uh, uh, we had another writer, but who developed it and, and wrote many of the episodes was very pivotal in, um, running it and the creative direction that it took, but it was really a great little show. Love that show. I, oh my gosh, so much stress. My first time as a post producer, they hired me as a first time post producer, replacing somebody else. (laughs) I was like, Oh, okay. You guys are really hard up, aren't you? (laughs) Sure. Why not? I'll do it. Um, and, uh, but again, you, you learn from your mistakes. I don't, I'm not afraid of making mistakes as I know I'll learn. I mean, sure. It sucks to do something wrong, to make a mistake. You don't want to be judged on that. And you hope nobody judges you permanently from that one mistake. And honestly, some people will, but I, sometimes you just have to make mistakes to, to find your way and to at least know how you don't want to do something in the future. Sure. And that's almost as important as knowing how you do want to do something in the future. Uh, so, um, yeah, after that uh, was Curb. And then after that, um, oh, God, what did, what did I do after that? Oh, I did a show called um, uh, Miracle Workers, season one. Went out to Atlanta. Oh, nice. Yeah. And that was the first time I was really involved in production um, as a post-producer. Um, oftentimes, we're, you know, they kind of talk to us, but they kind of also ignore us. <laughs> in post when they're in production but i was in atlanta with the editorial team i was on set for visual effects that was a very visual effects heavy show and um again back to visual effects loved it i was you know i was gonna know exactly what was happening with my shots i had a supervisor on set but i want to make sure that everything's going well and uh going smoothly so that was definitely an interesting experience um and uh, parlayed that into season two of Cobra Kai was when I got started on that show. Um, again, right. another show that was really hard up for a post producer because they hired me on day one of production of season two. And right. like it was a, it was an interview over FaceTime because they were already in Atlanta shooting. <laughs> OK, <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I think I think it's worked out. <laughs> yeah. You've, how long have you been on that show? Um, I, we are, uh, working on season five right now. So, um, for my fourth season. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty great. That's pretty great. That's awesome. Yeah. It, it's definitely some job security that, uh, I think is, you know, we, back in the day, I mean, people were on shows. I, I know a post producer who was on two shows, practically her whole career. She was on the practice and then she was on Grey's Anatomy. Um, right you just, you don't get that kind of year after year after year on the same show anymore. Um, but the good thing though, too, is that there are so many platforms now and there's so much great content. Um, Mm -hmm. there's, there's really no 
gosh, there's hardly a way to not be employed <laughs> right now. In yeah, television. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think there's people who adapt to it and people who don't. And yeah. those who adapt are going to thrive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, now, okay, I do have a technical question because I know okay. Cobra Kai is a Netflix show, right? Correct. Right. Okay. So I have heard that Netflix have a, has a very specific way of finishing things to make sure that it looks good on Netflix. As, oh, yeah. That's different from other places, different than other finishing techniques. Is that true? Is there like a special secret sauce finishing for Netflix? I don't have to tell me what it is, but it does not <laughs> exist. <laughs> um, to be honest, I can't say if it does not exist other places. Um, okay. I, this, when I first started on Cobra Kai, uh, we were airing on YouTube red or whatever it was called. Um, oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. So then, uh, Netflix picked it up and then aired season three, uh, which we had originally delivered to YouTube and now season four just dropped recently. So season four was the first season that I, I finished specifically for Netflix. And um, the, the only thing that comes to mind is that uh, we, we call her an HDR, um, mm -hmm. which I mean, doesn't really seem like a secret sauce necessarily to me because my phone has HDR, um, sure. but not it, it, not everybody does color in that uh, uh, space uh, or, even finishes that way or delivers that way and and it's not really something that you can do after the fact i mean you can but it's it just it costs a lot more money and takes a lot more time right so um so uh hdr is high dynamic range right um and i could i wow big difference in coloring season three versus coloring season four same colorist um right uh and uh, we color on resolve so it's right. it's a system that many many other post houses have and i'm sure that you know many post houses do finish this way but i just don't know if it's unique to netflix um yeah so if you have a tv that can air in hdr you can see oh my gosh there's there is a right. difference between hdr and sdr for sure for sure. Yeah, it, it's just there's something about like the way that colors are looking that are like it's designed for the for that best experience. Yeah. They they note that, yeah. You know? So, yeah. it's kind of an interesting idea of like finishing for the TV because a lot of places, for example, like movies, like let's take an Avenger film, right? They'll mm -hmm. do HDR obviously for the film industry, but that HDR is different than what would have on your TV. So, Netflix right. gears it towards your TV, which is kind yeah. of an interesting process. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and much of what they do is is based on how it's gonna how it's gonna play. How are you gonna be able to right. to play that in your home system? But also, you may not be able to play that now on on your your system. But you might right. be able to play like that in five years. So right. they're really looking to the future and how. I mean, the only reason why we're not delivering an 8K is because we don't shoot in 8K. We shoot mm -hmm. in 4K, right? You know what I mean. So, but if you want to shoot in 8K, they'll take it. Even though, I mean, what what consumer level TVs actually broadcast 8K? I mean, that's that's always been the struggle on file base. You in as Japan? Long as I can remember. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. There's a handful. Like, sure, if you have this like 24 seat personal theater in your home, sure, you can probably view an 8K. Um, right. But it, there's always been this dance between what a camera it, it, in the file based world since 2011 mm -hmm. what a camera can shoot what a network can air or stream or release and then what right. a consumer can see right and oftentimes there is no continuity there um at least not yet and right. you know as we've gotten into the file-based workflows and the file-based cameras and you know everything has just multiplied and exploded uh, there are so many different options out there now in just the last 10 years. I mean, it's really kind of mind boggling how fast this, uh, this technology and this industry is growing. Yeah. I mean, for sure. I mean, that's, that's, it's interesting that that was the thing. I mean, I remember specific, I, I do remember even at method when we were there and the red came out because I think Andy, yeah. Uh, Lesniak had a red camera, and we're like, ooh, and oh, he was trying to yeah. like, yeah, and he was trying to figure <laughs> out how to mount his his Canon lenses to the yeah. uh, to the red camera because that was like, he's like, you bought this camera, and like, you you gotta put some lenses on it, and they're like, and right. so like, how am I gonna? And so he was like figuring that out. So it was just, 
I do remember that. I was like, that's right. All that, all that came together. And that was just mm-hmm. around 2000 and I guess nine, 2008, 2009. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the thing at the time with the red camera that I remember specifically is because I'm looking at this from a post-production perspective is the fact that I don't remember the exact type of file that the red camera um, generated, mm-hmm. but you had to transcode it before you could either get it into the Avid or get those files uh, into a finishing workflow. Right. Those, right, right whatever right. those file, that file type was, did not talk to the systems that no. uh, yeah. were being used at the time. And that was a huge headache. So then when the next version of the camera came out, I think they may have worked on that a little bit, but then Alexa came out, they shot ProRes and everything talked to ProRes. So, you know, everybody was like, Oh, right. Alexa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it was a, it was a very, it was a very thing. And it was not just that as like the raw formats had to be debared. It was a whole yeah. thing. It was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was kind yeah. of, it was like, yeah. And, and it then, didn't, yeah. It, it is so funny because whatever the sensor didn't, I remember this from Southland, the sensor didn't react to fast motion very well. Like we'd sometimes right. get like green edges on the actors right. on frames. And I had, my client was like, what is that? What are you guys doing? And we're like, it's not us. That's in your sensor, right. man. Sorry. Like that's just what the camera records. Yeah. Um, and then there was the rolling shutter issues with the first red. Yes. Oh. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's true. It's cool. It's, well, listen, I mean, it's crazy been, to we, think it's only been 10 years. Ugh. I know. I know. Ugh. Yeah. And now like it's pretty much the standard. Everyone that's that's the way things work now. So yeah. That's awesome. Well, listen, it's been a been an hour. We can I'm sure we can oh keep gosh. talking about technical sure we weird stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so cool to talk to you and to hear all these amazing things you're doing. I'm really excited about it. Uh, I love I love what you're doing. I'm I'm so glad you said the things you did about producing and about the joys of coming Aww, together because I, it's, it's, it it resonates to me. And I'm really really very very impressed with the amazing things you're doing. So uh, it's so great to reconnect after all these years. So 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 thank- great. I'm so tickled that you invited me onto your your podcast. This is the first podcast I've ever recorded. So that's kind of fun. And you get that honor. <laughs> I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I know how hard it is for introverts to do that, but I try to make it very comfortable for you. (laughs) Yeah. Very comfortable. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you for being on. I appreciate it. Oh, thanks so much, Chris. Talk to you soon.